great time of worship through music. Thank you, worship team. I know that brought me closer to God. <clears throat> Who here has a Christmas tree still up? Anyone? Oh, good. So it's, that means it's still Christmas, and I don't look silly wearing these colors. I even have my Christmas socks on. I don't know if you can see my socks there. Christmas? Right. Did you see them? Anyway. So we're at the end of another year, the beginning of another one. And like it feels like in the past, I've been talking about resolutions and goals because as it turns out, this is the third of four years that I've been up here this Sunday preaching about the end of one year and the beginning of a new one. And if next year's schedule holds true, I will be here again. (laughs) That's what you get with the JV team, I guess. Everyone's away on vacation. I'm kidding. Well, three years ago, heading into 2017, I was speaking about our identity in Christ and how that provides a sense of hope for the future. And as it turns out, in that year, Hanukkah spanned the gap between Christmas and New Year's Eve. And so I, liked, I likened the opportunity of hope in that holiday, as well, of course, in the holiday of Christmas, the birth of our, our Savior, and the new year, how they all came together to, I guess, bolster that concept of hope for a new year. And how, again, our identity in Christ is really what makes that difference. This past year, going into this year, 2019, I spoke about God's word and how it was a light to our path and a lamp into our feet from Psalm 119, 105. And how as we traverse that path, regardless of the obstacles that are in it, that we gain a new perspective. Because God is leading us down that path, whether that path was easy or difficult or neither. That we had a new perspective on how we could go through 2019. And I asked the question at the end of last year. You probably don't remember, but I'll ask again anyway. Do you know where you're going in 2019? Right? We're walking a path. Do you know where you're going? Sometimes we do. Oftentimes we don't. And it seems that the path we're going down veers sharply to one direction or another that we weren't expecting. And yet that's the path that God is leading us down. So sometimes we don't know where we're going. But do you know who you're going with is really the, the basis of the question. Because it doesn't matter which way the path goes. If you're walking along that lighted path, that path that's lighted by God, whether it's easier, whether it's hard, you have the Savior of the world, you have God with you to help you along that path. Well, it's interesting how God does things when, at least within me, when it comes to coming up with a topic for a sermon. Because this is not really part of a series. We're at the end of Advent. We're going into the kingdom living next week. Where does this fit in? And so I was thinking about it you know, a while ago, and I thought, all right, there's some ideas I want to use from this or some ideas from this scripture. And not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up on a Saturday morning, and God said, you're going a different direction. Here's where I want you to go. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Seems like a, a good plan because it's your plan, so let me go that way. Well, I felt God was asking me a question or leading me to a question. That question falls on the heels of where we just came from, 2019. Instead of where are you going, do you know where you're going in 2019? The question is, where are you? 
Now that we've come through the whole year, where are you? But it's a little deeper than just answering the question from last year. And let me take a moment to pray, and then we'll get into the meat of this. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, what it is that you're doing in my life and in our lives collectively. I thank you that you would bring us to this day, to this year, that you've loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come as a baby, to live a perfect life, knowing that he would have to die to be our sacrifice, that when we believe in him, that we have eternal life. We thank you for that and that you would call us to be a part of what you're doing here in this world. I pray, Lord, that the words that I would speak today would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. Anything that I would say today that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that are from you, Lord, would be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places. That as we leave this place today, we leave changed, looking more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question is, where are you? That's our theme question for today. The question was first asked of humanity in Genesis 3-9 by God. As he's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, he's, where are you, Adam, Eve? Now, was this something that God didn't know where they were? Well, we know that God is omniscient, so it's not likely he was walking around going, where did I put those people? Is that, oh no, that's a giraffe. Where are they? Wait a minute. Nope. Not on me. Six days, I met, okay, seventh I rested. I don't know what I did with them. Oh, of course God didn't say that. He knew exactly where they were physically. He knew they were hiding. He also knew where they were spiritually. He knew what had happened. See, I think the question really that he's asking them is, do you know who you are? Do you know where you are right now? Do you know what has happened to you? You are dying spiritually. And he's holding them specifically and all of us as humanity accountable to that question, where are you? As I said, even in the prayer, we have separated ourselves from God. We have created a chasm that we cannot cross because we are dead because of our sin. But God reached out to us to bridge that chasm again in sending his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, that as we believe on that and we believe in his resurrection, that we can have eternal life with God in Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's the gospel message. And in a, in a manner of speaking, that's what God is telling Adam and Eve, you've forgotten. I am what's ma- what matters here. Your attitude about wanting to be like me is wrong. The 2020 theme for today's sermon is accountability. I know it's not really a comfortable concept. People don't like that word accountability. Um, Why does it make us uncomfortable? I think there's two ways we can look at this. Generally, it makes us uncomfortable because we are answerable to an authority. We have to give an account to whatever we're doing, if we're doing something wrong or even if we're just not ready to do something. At work, I work in the retail business in more of the back stock room. I am responsible for bringing freight into the building and trying to get it disseminated to the departments. 
Well, in the past couple of years, our company has, has recognized that maybe our freight hasn't been getting to the floor as quickly as it needed to be. So they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and a lot of time retraining the entire company. And we're talking about 700 different stores here. And they want it right. When you put that kind of time and money into it, they're expecting results. And so my boss, the assistant manager, says to me, why is this system breaking down in our store? Because the general manager of the store is saying to her, her why is this system breaking down? And he's being asked by the district manager, your store is having a problem. What's going on? His boss, the regional vice president, your district is not looking so good. What's happening? Because the third guy in the company is asking the regional vice president, your region is struggling. There's accountability there. They want to know what's going on, where they spent their money. And so we got to hustle, and we got to make it happen, no matter how we feel sometimes. More specifically, to us as, as believers in Christ, why is the concept of accountability uncomfortable? Well, because that means we have to admit that we have sinned. We have to admit that we are, have sinned in our lives. That we don't always do things as God would have us do them. Or we wouldn't be the people that he wants us to be. Because that sin gets in the way. Years ago, I was teaching a discipleship class at another church, and I used a video series, and it was, I really liked this series. It, there was a week where we were talking about what Christ does as he comes into our lives, when we accept him. And he comes in, and they use the metaphor of a house, and he comes in to fix a house that's been dilapidated and it's broken down. He comes in, he's going through room to room, cleaning it up and, and fixing it, and you, in the video you see uh, lights in each room start to come on, and you hear sounds of fixing. And the house is looking better and better. And that's what God is doing within our lives. He's coming into our lives and fixing various parts of our being, who we are as people. We feel great about certain things. But then God goes down the, the hallway that ends in darkness and it comes to a door. A door with a whole bunch of locks on it. The door says, keep out. No God, do not enter. Because that room, that's where we keep the dark secrets. That's where we keep the ugliness. Away from the other stuff. We all have it. Everyone in this room has that darkness in them. That dark room where you don't want God to go and touch. Because it really hurts. It's really uncomfortable. That's where there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of fear. Disappointment. Maybe it's anger. But you don't want God in there. And yet at the same time, you know that everything else that God has been doing in your life has been for the positive. Why wouldn't you want him to go into that room? <coughs> because we're so ashamed. Whatever the reason is, we fight, we struggle. Paul does a good job, I think, showing this struggle of the inner man in Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 15 and then 18 through 25. I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard. You have the NIV up here, but it 
the same, same concept. It says this, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. You see that that war that's going on. We want to do good. We want to glorify God with our lives. Our lives are intended to be lived faithful and righteous, to give God the glory. And yet, there's sin that holds us back. We want to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the sin keeps us from doing that to the utmost of our ability. Paul also writes in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, or you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's possible to have that happen. We have to walk by the Spirit. When we don't walk by the Spirit, that's when their war really takes over. Now I'm going to break the rules of giving sermons for a moment. Please forgive me. I guess that's what happens in the JV team. Um, I'm going to give an action step now as opposed to waiting to the very end of the sermon. But I think it's going to help. I will give action steps later, so don't worry. You'll have to wake up then too. So, here's the challenge. Ask yourself this question. Where am I every day? Ask that question of yourself. While you're brushing your teeth, take a moment, pull the toothbrush out. Where am I? You're looking at yourself in the mirror. Wipe the toothpaste off the mirror. You can go back to it. Where am I? You want to be aware of what's going on in your life. What's controlling you? You can break it up into categories of your life if if it makes it easier to practice. Where am I professionally? Am I where I want to be professionally? Where am I academically? Am I getting the grades I want? Do I want to go back to school? Do I need to go back to school? Where am I financially? Obviously, the most important one is where am I spiritually? That's the one you certainly need to ask every day. Many years ago, I was involved in a large youth, or not youth, but singles ministry. And on various weekends, Friday or Saturday nights, if there wasn't anything else to do, we just end up at this one guy's house. He happened to be the leader of the, excuse me, the, the singles ministry. 
He was an engaging guy, had a really good sense of humor, really fun to be around, uh, very knowledgeable in, in Christ. Right? He had been walking for a long time, and just like talking to him. And he was very open about people just coming in. You want to talk about tangible kingdom, that's what he was doing. Just, hey, come on over. Sure, no problem. We'll figure the food thing out. So various times we'd go and we'd hang out. We'd go out to his backyard and we'd sit around a fire pit that he had out there, unless it was way too hot or way too cold. But he would always start the conversation with, hey, Scott, what's God teaching you? Brian, what's, what's God teaching in your life? Barb, what's God teaching you? We didn't have any boys named Barb, but you get the point. Right? What's God teaching you? And we'd start a conversation about what God is doing in our lives. It's sort of an impromptu way of holding each other accountable. We get an opportunity to pray with one another. We didn't necessarily get through everybody in that <coughs> setting, but we at least got the opportunity to, to share as long as we were honest. Here's what God's doing. You know what? God's really not been doing anything with me because I haven't been reaching out to him. We got that chance to share that too. It was uncomfortable, but times you said, okay, how can we help you? Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what we do for each other. We sharpen each other. We keep each other on track. You see, God is the one asking the question, where are you? He will be keeping us accountable. Ultimately, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, has Solomon saying this after a lot of learning in his life. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to everyone. Folks, we're all in the same boat. Every one of us, believer, non believer, God will judge everybody. We all have sin. Romans 14.12, Paul says this, So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Could it be more blunt? You will stand before God in the judgment seat. And your life will fly by, and God will say, What was going on here? What was this? Not to say that not, there aren't good things that you did in your life. Hey, great job here. Way to go. But there's going to be a lot of ugly there's going to be a lot of ugly in those scenes that he's holding us accountable to. Now, as believers in Christ, as those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, those instances are not going to hold us back from heaven, from an eternal existence with God. But he's still holding us accountable to them. So God is asking the question, where are you? So if you're asking the question, where am I? You're not as strong as God, so the question that you're asking isn't ultimately strong enough to maintain that sense of accountability. You don't have it in yourself to be strong enough to maintain that accountability. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but how often do we squash the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's very easy to do that. It's insufficient to ask that question. It's a start... Asking that question is a good start. You've got to start somewhere. But we need help. We desperately need help. And as I said before, that's where we need help from others. 
Now, we want to look at accountability in, in two ways, a personal accountability as well as what I call a corporate accountability. So we talked about a personal accountability to some degree in what your role is. Where are you? Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4 say this. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Now, it's believed that this psalm, as well as Psalm 51, is a psalm that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba had been made known by the prophet Nathan. And I think what he's saying here is he tried to keep it a secret. As we know, he schemed to keep his sin a secret. And he couldn't do it. There's a physical effect here. When we try to hide something that is terrible, a sin. We, are, we know from science that stress breaks our body down. What do you think knowing that you're holding sin back is doing to your body? It's causing that stress. But it doesn't just break your body down. It breaks your spirit down. It breaks your soul down. We need help. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess plus prayer equals healing. It's uncomfortable. It's painful sometimes. But the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, who in this case is the, is the righteous man? Is it the one who's confessing or the one who's receiving the confession? I would say both. When you both get together and start to pray, much will be accomplished. Prayer, confession and prayer will, will lead to healing. Now, that's, again, the, the personal, the corporate concept of accountability is more the outward. You see sin in someone else's life and you have to address it with them. That's also very uncomfortable because who wants to be the one to, to say that to someone for fear of, oh, you're judging me. Don't judge. But sometimes it's necessary. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 say this. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, focusing on God, you who are spiritual, not just going up to anyone because you feel like it, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This is basically a mandate that when you see sin in someone's life, it needs to be addressed. But it's not just doing it because you feel good about yourself and you want to give them a hard time. Restore. It's about restoration. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. 
You care about this person. You want them to grow in Christ, not get stuck and get mired in this crap, in this cesspool of sin. But be aware that you too can be tempted. So just be careful as you do this. But we, we need to take on each other's burdens. Some people are weak sometimes, and you're strong. Be strong for them. Because you know when you're weak, you, you need someone who's strong too to step in and help. Elsewhere in Galatians, Paul talks about how each part of the body has a role to play. They're all part of one body. But there's a hand, there's a foot, there's an eye, there's an ear, there's all these different parts. We have a different role to play. But when one part suffers, we all suffer. So the question then is, how do we do accountability? Well, I found a sermon by a youth pastor in 2010 who, I like how he he brings up three concepts of accountability. The first is to not judge. I already mentioned that because it's uncomfortable. No one wants to be judged, right? Really, only God has the authority to be the judge. So when you see something in someone's life and you look at it verse Scripture, you say, this doesn't line up with your life. It's not you who's judging. It's Scripture. And we know that Scripture is God. So God is doing the judging in that case. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2 say this, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The rest of that passage, 3 through 5, go on to say how you're looking at the speck in someone else's eye versus the log in your own. Keep in mind that the point of this restoration, this accountability, is edification. Bringing this person back to the straight and narrow of how our lives are supposed to live, be lived so that we're glorifying God. We're living as ambassadors of Christ. Ask yourself, why am I doing this for this person? It's not about you. It's about God and how God needs to work in this person's life. It's about humility so that you can go to someone and say, hey, I want to help you. I want to go on this journey with you. So that's the first one. Don't judge. The second one would be discretion or confidence, maintaining someone's confidence. This is critical. Not blabbing their issue around with a whole bunch of people that you just meet along the way. People need to feel safe. And that's, that's why priests and confessional are legally able to not have to share what's said in confession. So that people can feel safe. Someone who gossips probably not going to make a good accountability partner. Just throwing that out there. Because all of a sudden, your business is everywhere. Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37 say this. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So if you're someone who goes around sharing people's business, 
You're going to be held accountable to that. So you want to keep that in mind. Now, there is a caveat to how you share information or if you should share information because if someone comes to you and says that they, they want to hurt themselves or they want to hurt someone else, you are not obligated, you are obligated to share that with someone to get help. If you were on a, in a court, you would have to explain what you heard. So make no mistake, there are certain situations that, that it's important to tell someone else what's going on. But understand that you will be held accountable for the things that you say, that people confide in you. So one is don't judge, two is discretion, and the third is encourage. The point of accountability is to get back to where they were, worshiping God, living a fruitful, a faithful, and righteous life. Sometimes we just need a cheerleader to say, hey, thanks for sharing this with me. Let's pray about it. All right, man, you got it. If you need to call me in 10 minutes because you're struggling with it again, call me in 10 minutes. I'm going to be there for you because I want to see you do well. Let me be the wing beneath your wings, as the popular song is. That's fine. We all need cheerleaders sometimes because we're weak. We're floundering around. We just need someone to say, hey, man, you're doing good. Today was better than yesterday. Congratulations. Hebrews 3.13 says this, But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't wait for tomorrow. Encourage someone today. Encourage someone you wouldn't necessarily normally encourage. See what that happens with that. Hey, I see this is happening in your life. Nice. Good job. So the question is, how do we find someone to help us with this? Because that can be pretty tricky also. You just walk up to someone, hey, want to be my accountability partner? I, this is the sin I'm dealing with. Uh, what? That may not be the best strategy. Um, obviously, the first thing I would tell you is pray. You need to pray. You need to pray about your sin. You also need to pray. Ask God to reveal someone to you that you feel comfortable with, that you feel that you can confide in. Now, to be fair, that person may say, I don't think I can. Be honest. You have to be honest. Because you don't want to start into something, all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed. But pray. Speak to the elders. I guarantee you, they want to help you get that figured out. Their job as elders is to help the flock grow in Christ. If there's a sheep over here floundering around doing whatever they're doing in sin, they're not just going to leave it there. They want that sheep I'm going to give it to a vet. Say, you're broken. We need, you need help. Now, they may take on that role themselves. They may not. They may direct you to someone who can help you. I don't know. I'm not an elder, so I don't know what they would do. But the point is that that's a first line of defense to seek help. Small groups. Many of us are in small groups. We can use a small group as a start 
Maybe start to share a little bit more about what's going on in the group. Maybe there's someone in the group that maybe you've been feeling more comfortable with, that you can share a little bit more with. Ask them. Hey, would you mind considering becoming an accountability partner with me on this? I've been struggling a little bit with this. Sometimes different aspects of our lives are in shambles at the same time. We don't know which end is up. And sometimes it's like, hey, can you help me with this? Great. Can you help me with this too? No? Look, if, you're, if you need help that only a hand can help you with, don't ask an ear, because it's not the job of the hand. It's a job of an ear. But if you have something going on over here that an ear can take care of, ask an ear. Don't ask a, a knee or a foot. We are the body of Christ. We need to help each other so that the whole doesn't suffer. It might mean multiple people. It might mean getting creative. Say, hey, would you mind being an accountability partner with me? Sure. I'll journey with you on this. But I maybe get a little busy, you know, seasonally or with the family. Okay. Maybe it just means we can only get together once a month or a couple of times during a season. But, hey, can we text? Can we email? Can we just jump on the phone real quick? Absolutely. Maybe it's Skype. A person could be somewhere else in the world. Sometimes it just requires some creativity. But it's critical that we have those people. And when you're looking for someone, take a look at those three points. Are they judgmental? Okay, keep walking. Are they a gossip? Leave them be. Are they, do they encourage people? If not, you don't want to be a part of that. They hit the checklist. That's a good way to start. Hey, can you help me? If you're the person being asked, or if you approach someone, understand something. The sin that they're struggling with isn't sin that's been there for 10 minutes or a month. It's been there as long as they're alive. For some of us, that's a long time. And it's not going to be a quick fix. It's a long haul. And you have to realize that that person may be in your life for a while. Are you willing and able to go there with them? Now, it might get easier in time where check-ins may happen every six months. That'd be great if you have that long of a gap. But it might take five years, ten years to get to that point. This isn't a one and done. Don't take it lightly. Imagine yourself going to someone. Do you want someone cutting out after three months and you're still floundering around? Like, what's happening here? You're leaving? It's critical. Because God is asking the question, where are you? 
And so for in 2020, we want to see our growth in Christ because that's going to mean stronger identity in Christ and a truer perspective of the decisions we have to make so that we can live a righteous and faithful life. So keep asking the question, where are you as a start? And look for help. We all need it. And we'll all, we're all accountable. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for your message of accountability. I know it's not generally a comfortable topic, Lord, but it's something that is so critically important. Lord, you are a holy and righteous God above all else. And you require us to be holy. And we fall short so often. Lord, I pray that we would leave here with a passion to seek help in those areas of our lives where we don't want you to be involved. Knowing that you do need to be involved, especially in those places. We pray against fear. We pray against the shame. We pray, Lord, that you would Open our hearts and our minds to how wonderful you are and how much you want to give to us in spite of the fact that we really don't deserve any of it. We thank you and praise you for this day. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.